Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and your all-around hiring guru. And I am super excited about our guest today because she actually comes to us from another guest. What better example of networking can you get than that? So let me tell you a little bit about her because this is going to be a very interesting show. So today on the show, I'd like to welcome Lita Citroen, CEO of Lita360. Lita is a reputation management and personal branding expert, and she joins us to share some of her personal branding advice with those that are searching for a new job. Lita is also an expert in executive presence, leadership communication, and using social media to self-promote, helping employees and leaders build a personal brand that supports the business. Lita, okay, I'm going to let you say your last name because I butchered it after I practiced. Oh, you did great. It's Citroen. So Citroen. thank you so much, Casey. I appreciate it. <laughs> well, you know, I think it's important that we get people's names right, you know? I mean, that's kind of part of your personal brand, right? Well, but we didn't have so much say in picking it, so I, I like to blame my parents, not so much me for that. But I appreciate your effort. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And thank you for being here. So I'd like to start the show talking a little bit about how we got connected. And because I think it's so important that people pay attention to those connections because, you know, I may meet someone, I may not understand why I met them, but then they may introduce me to someone. I'm like, oh, I just recently had that happen. And that is so cool when it happens, right? So Mm -hmm. how did we meet? Well, a good friend of mine and colleague, professional colleague, Morag Barrett, uh, had been, I believe, a guest on your show. And you got to hear about her talk about allies and and cultivating winning relationships. And she knew I had a book coming out, which was perfect for your target audience, the people that you're serving. And so she introduced us and connected us for this conversation. I, I know. And I always love it when I have those conversations with people before we get on the show, because it's just like, oh my gosh, you're so cool. And I can't believe you're going to come and talk to me for 30 minutes and let me record it. That's probably the best part about having a podcast. I get to have this forever. Well, and, and I'm honored to be here. I mean, this is this is a great opportunity for me to, to help educate and inform your audience with maybe some tips and tools they hadn't thought about. So the honor is all mine. Thank you. Well, thank you. Well, I love, you know, I was very fortunate that I received an advanced reader's copy of your book that's coming out. Now, has it published yet? It published in, in Europe. Uh, at the beginning of the month, and okay. on May 25th, it'll publish in the United States. Oh, yes. that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I know people are going to want to read this book for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, Morag writes the foreword, am I correct? No, she contributed an endorsement. Oh. And yeah, so she's been generous to do that on a couple of my books. And, oh. and her words are really meaningful to me. So what, I appreciate it. What a great friend. So, so 
I really want to kind of dive in. I know we can't cover everything that's in the book, but mm -hmm. I do know that, you know, you've mentioned the three pillars of a successful career before, building a personal brand, the ability to pivot, and reputation repair. We're going to put that for last because when you and I talked about that, I was like, whoa, we need to hear more about that. That's important. But let's, let's talk about pillar number one, building a personal brand. Mm -hmm. Why is it so important to establish your personal brand, like especially when you're on the job search? Well, I think it's 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 important to understand that everybody has a brand, mm -hmm. right? So it's it's whether you're designing it and, and driving it and managing it and promoting it, or you're just letting other people drive it. Your brand shows up in your reputation. So the people that are interacting with you, either working with you, interviewing you, uh, networking with you, they have certain beliefs and perceptions about you that form your reputation. Well, if you're not driving your brand, their perception of you could be completely wrong or ill-informed or you know not serving you so having a brand means you're in front of that you're intentional you're thoughtful about the way you position yourself with other people and that's really what employers are looking for employers are investing billions in mm -hmm. not just human capital and intellectual property and brick and mortar but they're investing in their own brand so they look for employees to build a brand that is going to anchor into theirs and that's where there's a win-win that is so interesting that you say that because and i think i shared a little bit um not to bring this back up about me but i think that this is a really good example of you know when i set up my personal brand it wasn't because I was going to launch another business. It was because I needed to separate myself from the noise of the bajillion recruiters that are in this area with the things that I do. But right. you know, when you look at my website, everything points you back to VIP. Right. And so I think that's kind of what you're saying. It's just, I'm doing it a little bit differently. I think you're doing it exactly right. And that is looking at all the touch points where somebody could experience us. I mean, a brand is an experience. That's mm. all it is. It's not a logo or a swoosh or a tagline. A brand is a belief. It's, it's a promise of something that I will feel if I go on a podcast with Casey or I have a call with you or I work with you. So looking at touch points like a website, LinkedIn profile, the people that you know, the different ways you express your brand, you wanna find consistency. And that's the name of the game in branding. It, it's not about being perfect because none of us can be perfect, but we absolutely should be consistent. And that, that is really where a lot of people are dropping the ball and building their brand. They just focus on social media or they just focus on a new look, you know, and they think that's what it is but it isn't it's about consistency across all those touch points well and i love what you said i've never really thought about it that way before that your personal brand is like the promise of an experience mm -hmm. you know and how do you want those people to experience you based on what they're saying am i saying that right well absolutely so i you know before i started my company in 2008 i had spent 20 years in the corporate world helping to stand up and promote some of the biggest brands from consumer products to service to nonprofit. and the first question we always asked if we ever had a new initiative or a new um, endeavor or product is what do we want people to believe is true about this product or service or endeavor and what do we want them to feel so marketing mm -hmm. then takes the ball and creates 
logos and call to action and campaigns, but branding is always the first question. What do we want someone to believe is true and what, what do we want them to feel? So in personal branding, we have to think the same way, not, you know, what should my LinkedIn headline be or, you know, what kind of haircut should I have uh, or what does my elevator pitch need to include? But what do I want people to believe is true about me and what can I offer? How, do, how can I serve them? And what do I want them to feel? You know, if you think about a basic marketing principle, people act on logic, right? I need a new car, but they buy on emotion, mm -hmm. right? That car makes me feel successful or powerful or sexy or whatever. And if you ever question that, think about the last thing you overpaid for, right? Because we've all done it. We <laughs> bought something because it was a brand. It, okay. it made us feel something. Um, and that's what we need to think about with our own brand. Our, our individual brand is what do we want people to believe about us? How do we want to establish credibility? And, you know, what do we want them to remember us for? They're not going to remember us for what we said on paper. They're going to remember us for how they experienced us. So, all right. So I'm a job seeker. Okay. So how do I communicate that brand to my potential employer? Well, and that's where the magic happens, right? So the resume is a tool, for instance, that we use. And I am notably not um, a big fan of resumes mm -hmm. because what a resume does is it looks backwards. A yep. brand looks forward. So once I figured that out, I realized why I don't love resumes. But a resume is a piece of the, of the toolkit, mm -hmm. right? social media, word of mouth, networking, in-person experience, visual, nonverbal, all of these touch points will communicate to that employer what your brand is. So it's not about investing it all in the resume and expecting the resume to speak for you. The, the employer, by the time they wanna have a conversation with you, they've looked at your background, they've seen patterns, they've probably looked at your online profile, those patterns are either confirmed mm -hmm. or they're confused. They may have talked to some people who know you who either confirm or dispel those patterns. So by the time you get in the room with that employer, they're looking for you to confirm in person everything they believe to be true. And that's where the magic happens. If you've done your brand well, it should be really easy in that moment to just reinforce and show consistency with everything they believe to be true. Well, and, and I know that sounds a little, that sounds a little, I don't know, maybe abstract, but it's really practical. It takes so much of the pressure off the job seeker to try to be perfect or, or scripted and polished in a way that might feel inauthentic. Just be you, the same you that I would find online, the same you that Bob, who sent me your resume, speaks about. It's just about being you. And it's so interesting that you use the word unauthentic because I was gonna ask you if when you're talking about consistency, if you are talking about showing up as your authentic self and not mm -hmm. putting on this big polished person. Cause I know like for me, I, you know, I have to show up as who I am. And I believe that that comes across it, if I had an updated resume, <laughs> I think it would come across an updated resume, but I think it certainly comes across in my social media, especially my LinkedIn and all that kind of stuff. So, um, but 
let, let's take it back to the professional for a second. So, okay. you know, when we're talking about relationships and you and I were just talking about networking before we started recording this podcast and how important it is. Um, so what about your professional relationships? How do you shape your professional reputation? Well, relationships are a big part of that, right? Mm -hmm. So there's that, that expression, guilt by association. Mm -hmm. um, we want positive by association too, credibility by association. And and I always say as part of a, re a reputation management strategy, you should look at the people that you know. Are they serving and reinforcing the way you want people to experience you or could they be detracting? And social media really kind of changed the game there because in the past it would be the people that you physically saw me with or the people that you knew I associated with. Mm -hmm. But now we have all these connections online and some of those connections may be doing things which if an employer were to click on your friend's Facebook page or your friend's LinkedIn, maybe they don't shine very bright and very positively on you. So it is important in strategic networking to think about that and be mindful and discerning about the people that you connect with online. There, there are a couple of different philosophies with relationship building online. And some people believe that, you know, everybody in the pool, and the more <laughs> connections you have, the better. And anyone who sends you a connection request, you accept it. I tend to preach something a little bit more discerning because of the optics, right? Because there are people whose brand pivots around something that's more controversial or provocative, and that could actually deter from the values you wanna be known for. So being mindful that relationships should be serving you. These are the people who sh your network should be, they should be advancing you and sharing opportunities and referring you. But if they could be detracting from what you stand for, that poses some risk. And if, if, if you're going to be mindful and okay with it, then at least it's a choice. But if you're unaware of it, then at least start becoming more mindful of it. You know, I think that's really great advice, especially for job seekers, because you're right. The first thing I do if I'm considering engaging with a candidate for a search that I'm doing on behalf of one of my clients is I'm gonna go scrub their social media. And if I see something on there controversial or, um, Oh, one time, like I had a candidate that was bad mouthing her current employer. Mm -hmm. So she'll do that for that employer. She could possibly do it for my client. My job is to protect right. my client as well. So, but yeah. another thing, and I don't know if you've noticed it, you probably have, but you've really got to lock down, like when people tag you, like your friends mm -hmm. tag you on social media. 100%. Yeah. That needs to be approved. You need to set something up, a safeguard there, so that yeah. they don't post those bikini pictures on LinkedIn that they took over the weekend. Well, and LinkedIn has some pretty good metrics around or, or protection around that, but you're absolutely right. And I think as you get a little bit more visible, that happens a lot because people want you to comment on it or, you know, they want they want to show up in your feed. Yes. And so being discerning about all of that is absolutely true. You know, people feel like there's there's this belief that once you go on social media, it's kind of like all the rules go away but you still get to have boundaries. I mean, mm -hmm. you can say there are certain things I don't comment on. There are certain images you won't find. And I lock that down because that's first of all, not part of my brand and mm -hmm. it actually could hurt my brand. Those are rules and boundaries you're allowed to have on social media just because it feels like a free for all. 
Right, and I think a lot of people feel guilty, like if they're tagged or mentioned or mm -hmm. what, or a friend of theirs or their mom put something <laughs> on Facebook, for example. And Facebook is just as much yeah. reviewed as LinkedIn. I know professionally we tend to think of LinkedIn, but Facebook is there too. Mm -hmm. You know, but you've got to give yourself permission not to comment on stuff that doesn't align with right. the image, the personal brand that you're trying to put out there. Absolutely, absolutely. We have to start becoming better consumers of the way we show up online. Uh, the digital landscape has has become quicksand for a lot of people, and and you know I know we'll talk about reputation repair, but that's where a lot of people get in trouble, mm -hmm. right? A, a joke, a comment, an offhanded comment, something that you know you really didn't think was going to be shown outside of that forum. The comment that you noted that somebody had posted negatively about their employer, I see those in LinkedIn groups, mm -hmm. and I can't believe somebody wouldn't think that a, another recruiter would find offense at that. These are not private conversations. Even text messaging can, or instant messaging, direct messaging, they can all be screenshotted yep. and taken out of context. So if you think it and you're questioning it, just don't put it in an electronic device. And job seekers have to pay attention because I don't think they, they understand how much recruiters and hiring managers, employers are looking at social media. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of going back to guilt by association and <laughs> building your personal network so that you are or your professional network so that you're successful and you're presenting that image that you want to present. You know, how do you build that network so that you can present that brand? Well, I, I, anytime we think about networking in a strategic sense, so not friends and family and neighbors, that's that's the other kind of networking, but strategic networking is always a focus on win-win, right? So somebody that I network with, they have to get value from that relationship and I have to get value from that relationship. It's not the same value and that's where people get confused. No. Uh, a job seeker might think, well, how could I, how can I help a recruiter, right? I'm looking for a job. So I know how they can help me, but I don't know how to return the favor. It's always about, you know, that back and forth. And sometimes the greatest way to reciprocate is gratitude. Mm. And people have forgotten that gratitude is a great value. I, I coach a lot of job seekers, particularly military veterans, and and they're always saying, I don't, I don't know how to share gratitude. Well, give somebody a shout out on LinkedIn. Uh, send them a handwritten thank you note. You know, those are still around. Mm -hmm. um, introduce them to somebody in your network that could be of value to them. But making sure there's always a balance is really important in networking. And then I would say, expand the aperture of who you think about networking with. We always think, especially as job seekers, that the person they want to network with is a recruiter or a decision maker right? Somebody who could transact with me, hire me, or put me in front of a hiring person. But there's other people that can benefit us, influencers, people who are going to endorse us and shine a light on us and give us attention. Those are fabulous people to network with. Information sources, people who know stuff that's valuable that we may not know. And cheerleaders, and cheerleaders are just a, a lost tribe of people, but I love cheerleaders. 
because they're just happy and they make us feel positive and they lift us up and they give us that boost and life and business and career, those are hard topics. So having cheerleaders in our network, in addition to decision makers and influencers and information sources, that's really where you've got a well-rounded network. If you can honestly say you have people in each of those pockets and you nurture and cultivate those yes. relationships. I, and I think that's so huge, what you just said about the nurturing and the culturing. Don't go look for your network when you need it. Build it yeah. when you don't need it so it's there when you need it. I think that's where a lot of people mess up. Or at least maintain it, right? Because yes. I can understand somebody wants to connect when they're looking for a job. But once you get the job, don't lose touch with me until you need a job again, right? Because then it doesn't, fa it doesn't feel very balanced. Mm -hmm. Let me know how the job's going. Follow up and let people know how their advice panned out. Yeah. That's what networking is about. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And connections, you know, I mean, and I, I think a really good example of that is, you know, and I'm sure you did the same thing, but as soon as Morag introduced us and we had our conversation, the next thing I did was go send her a thank you email mm -hmm. for that. Absolutely, and, absolutely. And you said something earlier about gratitude. That is like my favorite thing in the world. Not only to, you know, when people are grateful for things that I've done for them, I definitely want them to be grateful because otherwise, I mean, if you're just expecting it, yeah, that I don't want to do that for you. But even just being grateful myself, I mean, starting the day with gratitude, we won't even go down that rabbit hole, because, but that is so big for me. So you said the magic word. So, yeah. all right, so we are going to run out of time. So I'm going to move quickly through here. Um, so I want to talk about the second pillar because a lot of people have had to do this during the pandemic, and that's the ability to pivot. So what does it mean to make a pivot in your career? It's a shift, right? Um, maybe the pandemic, uh, you know, took your industry in the wrong direction, or maybe your skills weren't as in high demand. And so now you're looking at doing something different. A doctor who becomes a motivational speaker, mm -hmm. a military veteran who becomes an entrepreneur, a stay-at-home mom who goes back and tries to become a sales rep. Those are pivots. And what's important in a pivot from a reputation standpoint is some of the assets, the credibility, the relationships, the visibility that you had in your previous job or career will need to come with you, mm. but not all of them. So it's kind of, it's it's peeling back the layers of the onion to understand what's valuable going forward and what can I shed. Mm. But a lot of people are doing that right now. A, a lot of people are looking at the future and saying, you know, this was kind of a wake up call and maybe I wasn't as passionate about the work I was doing. And now I really want to do something I'm passionate about. Those are great times to look at making a pivot. You know, I am hearing that so much right now, you know, because I mean, my ears to the ground, just like yours is with yeah. these job seekers. And so many times I get these accountants and these finance people coming up to me and they're like, I don't think I want to do that anymore. And I'm like, okay, well, that's good. We need to figure out what you want to do though. So right. let's do some exactly. more soul searching here. Um, exactly. So I really want to get to your third pillar because I was so fascinated by that, this one, and it's reputation repair whether yeah. intentionally or unintentionally, but how can you know that your reputation has been tarnished? And once you do know that, what do you do? You know, and, and I hate to say that it's a growing uh, space because whether it's an ill-fated tweet uh, that lands wrong, it's, you know, microaggressions at work, it's, you know, having an affair with a patient. 
people are making mistakes and these days those mistakes go public very fast mm -hmm. cancel culture is a huge um, issue right now i think the first thing to do if, if you find yourself is to ask yourself, did I do something wrong or was I in the wrong place at the wrong time? Mm -hmm. Because when we think of reputation damage, we think of the person who got caught with their hand in the cookie jar. But there are a lot of people I have worked with who literally did nothing wrong, but they were either a scapegoat or, you know, happened to be in the background of something that happened and, and it tarnished their reputation. So first, is it something that you, you know, you did something wrong that that's a different strategy or is there some other set of circumstances? Um, you know, I always enc encourage clients to ask themselves, you know, how visible of an of a damage is this? So was it front page of the Wall Street Journal? Or, <laughs> you know, was it friends and family pulled you aside and said, hey, I kind of heard this. Because it's important to know the difference. It will mm -hmm. feel like front page of the Wall Street Journal, regardless of what it is. Right. And then imagine best case and worst case outcomes. And sometimes that just calms everything down, right? What is the worst thing that can happen from this? What's the best thing that can happen from this? But if, if you do in fact decide that you are in a reputation crisis, right? Maybe you've been blackballed in your industry or there's press out about you or you know rumors are swirling. I mean, these things happen. As best you can, try to separate emotion from fact. And I say as best you can, because it will feel like this, you know, the skies are closing in. But again, was it somebody made a mean comment on Facebook or you can't find work because of, of things you've done in the past? You know, looking at that, gathering allies, create a network of, of, of close supporters, people who have different skills and who are gonna be able to back you up. You might need to hire a consultant. You might need some damage control, crisis control, but you also are gonna need a lot of support. So get, mm -hmm. get a team of people around you and then put together a, a, a response plan. You know, Everybody thinks if it's on social media that they have to immediately go to social media and start feeding out responses. Sometimes that can be the worst thing you can do. Um, really? I, I had a client who it created a firestorm. They literally woke up in the morning and had no idea that what they had posted last night was all over the news. It had gone viral. Their board of directors was calling them in. And the first thing they wanted to do was respond, but they sat back and waited. And sometimes that is a better response. In, in that client's case, what actually happened was a lot of their online supporters came to their defense and it played oh. out very differently than if they had jumped in. Um, the online community is not your friends and neighbors. <laughs> you know, we don't know who these people are. We, we don't even know if they're people, right? Because <laughs> there's things that can happen online. Time can always work to your advantage. So having a response plan and then executing that is often the best way to approach it, depending on what's happened. Sometimes you do need to apologize and, and sometimes that apology should be private and then public. Sometimes it should be public and then private. There's just so many nuances. Um, and I talk a lot about it in the book, but even there I know it's, it's not gonna address every single situation that everybody's going to encounter. You know, I, I was listening as you were talking about the different things that could happen, and the one that popped into my head 
um, when you started talking about guilt by association was we had recently had a client, not recently, this was a couple of years ago, had a client that had some issues going on and we were trying to help them through it and they ended up terminating quite a few people. But one of the people that got caught in the terminations mm -hmm. was completely innocent, but because it appeared and, and they spoke with their mm -hmm. lawyers and everything that she was participating in whatever was going on, the lawyer said, it, it doesn't matter. You've, you've yeah. got to let her go. And so that's, you know, that's someone. So let, let's just think about that. She was terminated, right? Mm -hmm. So how does she deal with that? How does she rebuild? Well, let me think about how to say this. How do you fix that damaged reputation, especially when it wasn't your fault, so that you can get that next job? I have worked with many people that have found that that situation, whether, again, it was wrong place at the wrong time. There's also a lot of workplace bullying mm -hmm. and workplace mobbing that's happening right now. And unfortunately, several clients I have worked with have been in, caught up in that. Um, it, it sometimes requires a step back and, and a different look forward, right? So do you want to stay in the same industry? Do you want to stay in the same company? There's different strategies for that. Are you looking to make a big, maybe it's time to make a pivot. So you look for a different industry where perhaps some of those legacy crises won't follow you. But taking accountability for the pieces that you may have played into, sometimes not saying anything is is action. Um, but what I find is what gives the the subject or the victim the most confidence and power is knowing they have a plan, knowing they have a response. I had one client who shared with me that she was always afraid that somebody in the grocery store was going to stop her and ask her about what had happened because it did make, make the public attention. And it never happened that somebody in the grocery store stopped her. But once, you know, she curated a really good response, I remember her saying to me, I'm no longer afraid in the grocery store. And I knew exactly what she meant, right? She wasn't afraid of tomatoes and canned goods. She was she didn't have that fear anymore because she knew how to confidently answer any questions or address the situation. And the same thing with an employer. You know, your best tool as a job seeker is to have a narrative, to be able to explain how your past presents you here today for this opportunity and what is the promise of the future. And if your story about the past includes some negative, you know, hot issues, you have to sometimes include that. If it's well known and you don't address it, you're kind of making them address it, which can feel uncomfortable. So having that narrative about who you are, how your past, you know, is all of it included, makes you who, who we are today and what that means for the future, for your ability to serve in that role and add value, that's really where you get more control as a job seeker. And I love everything you just said, and I almost wish we had just focused on this one pillar for this entire episode. <laughs> But, you know, and one thing I just want to say, you know, you were, it, it, in talking about this, you know, everyone at some point in their life is going to have something that's happened at work that they're not either going to be proud of or they're not going to want other people to find out about. You know, I will tell you, um, and I've not told many people this, my producer's probably going to fall over when I say this, you know, I was fired from one of my first jobs. Fired. Well, join the club. I was a horrible employee. 
But it also taught me a very good lesson that I couldn't get away with anything. That I was not the princess on the, you know, on the sitting on the throne and got to come in whenever she wanted to. You know, it was a really good lesson for me and I took it. But I also want to say, you know, don't let your past define you. It doesn't have to. It, it doesn't. And I think that's why control the narrative isn't about cover up the past. Right. Right. Um, here's a, an example of that. I have had clients go through really traumatic events. Right. Their fear is, do I, does, does that define me? Right. Mm -hmm. um, do I have to now be known as a cancer survivor or a, a war veteran or you choose how you want to be defined. And that's why if we're controlling the narrative, we're telling our story the way we want to be defined. That doesn't mean you get to hide all the skeletons, yep. but if they come forward, they need to fit into a narrative. And that's really where people have power. That's where job seekers, if they're clear about their value, they're clear about why they're having this conversation, they're gonna be able to defend or explain anything that might be less than positive. Um, being fired can sometimes be the best thing that can happen to you. Not in the moment. It, it's terrible in the moment. But what did you do with it? What did you learn? Sometimes people get fired because it was the wrong job for them. Well, that's not a reflection on you. I mean, there are reasons we take jobs, right? And sometimes we choose for different reasons. But being able to explain that and have a narrative around it is where the power comes. And I think if you just take that little piece away from this, have your narrative so that people see you the way you want to be seen. You control that. You do get to control that to a degree. Absolutely. But Absolutely. then if they still don't see you the way that you want to be seen, what they think about you is none of your business. So don't worry about it. <laughs> well, they could be the wrong employer, right? Yeah. I mean, if, you, if, you, if you're trying to kiss the wrong frog, it's not going to turn into a prince. It's just going to enjoy being kissed. Um, <laughs> so, you know, make sure that it's the right frog. Way too much of a visual on that. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know. There you go. That's awesome. <laughs> Okay, well, I cannot believe this, but we are almost out of time. Oh. It goes so fast, right? Mm -hmm. But I definitely want to ask you our VIP questions because this is where I okay. get to learn a little bit more about you, <laughs> okay. how your brain works. So, if you were chosen to be one of the first colonists on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you? You know, and that, that one threw me a little bit for a loop, and here's how I'd answer it. First and foremost, my husband, because not only do I enjoy having him around, but he would do anything for me, and that would be really helpful. <laughs> um, you didn't say living or dead, so I would say Jesus, because okay. I think having a spiritual grounding would help me deal with all the differences, uh, being in a different environment with all the unknowns. And then I think MacGyver. <laughs> because I, I started to go to like Firestarter or, you know, a knife or that, but we're in a, um, what is there atmosphere on Mars? Do we know? MacGyver would figure it out. He would figure out how to start fire. He would figure out how to find water. So I kind of think I would want him in there too. Um, that would give me probably all that I need to find food, make food, um, stay grounded, stay spiritual and, uh, and have my main squeeze. <laughs> All the important stuff, right? I love it. I love it. I think so. So what is one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? 
prioritize, and I wouldn't say I'm, per I'm perfect at this, but I try very hard to prioritize what I have to do that day. Because a lot of my deadlines are far out mm -hmm. and I create schedules to give myself due dates and then deadlines. But prioritizing every day is what prevents me from spending the whole day on Facebook or you know doing my laundry at 10 o'clock in the morning or it is making sure that I know what I have to do during mm -hmm. that day to be able to meet my deadlines. So prioritization, and it's still something I work on, but it, it certainly gives me some more clarity. I, I love that. And I actually write down my schedule, old school, every yeah. single day. And yeah. I'm a, I, I practice this philosophy of zero white space. So mm -hmm. if there is white space in between appointments, I put something there. Because I don't want anybody else putting something there. Do you put like hold, like I do. spacers? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah like I do I'll, that too. I do that too. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I'll put holds, and I'll give myself little um, holds. Like if I know I have appointments around those appointments, or if I just know right. I need time to focus on my own to do whatever. I mean, I literally schedule everything, and I'm not a detailed person. So I, everybody's like, no, "Oh, you're just either. detailed." I'm like, "No, I have to do this, or I won't get anything no. done." Yeah. So, exactly. Well, and you spend half the day on Facebook, then. Yes. Or online shopping. I mean, my doorbell rings all day long, so it's, <laughs> it's pretty bad. It's much better since I'm not working from home as much. So. Yes. So, okay, my final question for you. Yes. If your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be? The headline would read, she gave more than she took, colon, how one businesswoman gained wealth by giving away her expertise because I really believe that generosity and gratitude is how I want to be known. Yes. And I would love for people to remember me for being really generous and grateful for every opportunity I have. That is beautiful. How do people find you if they need some reputation management? <laughs> <laughs> well, all roads lead to Lida360.com, which is L-I-D-A360.com. Uh, the new book, Control the Narrative, it's already, you know, pre-orders are going through the roof. It's on I, Amazon, look booksellers. Look at that. <laughs> um, and I'm on every social channel, my YouTube and all of that. I mean, I'm an extrovert, so of course I'm on every social media channel. <laughs> That is so awesome. This has been such a fabulous, fabulous conversation. And I've so enjoyed just reading your book. Thank you so much for the advanced copy. Um, and, you know, just kind of digging in a little bit more about what it means to maintain your reputation and how important it is. So thank you for being here with us today. Thank you. And you have a stellar reputation, which is what made me really excited about having this conversation with you. So there you go. Power thank of reputation. You. Well, I just have one more thing to say to you. Okay. You are a VIP. Thank you. And that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com.